Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For the first time, the Supreme Court of the United States has taken away a constitutional right it enshrined 50 years ago, the right to end a pregnancy before fetal viability. Roe v. Wade has been overturned in a sweeping decision that Speaker Nancy Pelosi today called outrageous and heart-wrenching. And again, as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, to see young girls now have fewer rights than their moms or even their grandmothers is something very sad for our country. We analyze the decision, look at its impact, and hear your reactions. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Supreme Court Justices Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan said this about the ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. With sorrow for this court but more for the many millions of American women who have today lost a fundamental constitutional protection, we dissent. Just short of 50 years after the Supreme Court issued its landmark decision establishing a constitutional right to abortion, a 6-3 conservative majority overruled its own precedent to take away that right, which will hurt pregnant people, women and girls, the poor, and people of color the most. Here's President Joe Biden today. The court has done what it has never done before expressly take away a constitutional right that is so fundamental to so many Americans that had already been recognized. The court's decision to do so will have real and immediate consequences. State laws banning abortion are automatically taking effect today, jeopardizing the health of millions of women, some without exceptions. So extreme that women could be punished for protecting their health. So extreme that women and girls were forced to bear their rapist's child. Governor Gavin Newsom made this statement. The Supreme Court has stripped women of their liberty and let red states replace it with mandated birth. This is an attack on American freedom. California, Oregon, and Washington are creating the West Coast Offensive, a roadmap for other states to stand up for women, time to fight like hell. California lawmakers in Sacramento are also pushing a constitutional amendment on the November ballot to enshrine the right to abortion into state law. This hour, we analyze the decision, look at what's coming next, and hear the reactions of your fellow Californians. And joining me is Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor and Director at the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy at UC Irvine School of Law. Michelle Goodwin, so glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be back with you, although under such grave and horrific circumstances. Yes, let's also introduce Susan Matthews, news director of Slate and host of season seven of Slow Burn on Roe v. Wade. Susan Matthews, really glad to have you with us, too. Thanks for having me. Just want to echo Michelle. (laughs) Trying circumstances. Very trying circumstances. And uh, if you do want to share, Susan, just what you are feeling today. A lot of people, both of you, I'm sure, saw this coming. But what was it like for you when the ruling came down? 
You know, what I would say is that I had been expecting this um, for longer than even the leak. And yet there really aren't words to describe how it how it feels when it actually happens. I had this kind of feeling this morning when they added the, the um, opinion drop for today that that it was going to happen. And yet when it actually happens, it just feels there. I don't think that there are really words to describe the feeling of losing the right. Michelle Goodwin, your reactions to reading this decision, what you were thinking and feeling? Similarly, in many ways, it's it's not a surprise. And there's something that is deeply gut-wrenching every time that we are reminded about the fact that we are still linked to the, I think, the, the most unjust times of, of our country. We still have links. Uh, we're still tethered to the times of slavery and Jim Crow. And that's hard for people to digest. It maybe becomes easier for people to digest when we consider um, the move of white nationalists in a coup last year, when we consider the death of Heather Heyer in 2017. But for the most part, over the last couple decades, there have been black women saying that this is a day that is going to be coming. And I was documenting that of black women being dragged out of hospitals and shackles and chains and so many things that are horrible that you don't want to have happen in our nation. You don't want anybody affected by those kinds of things. But I think that today the Supreme Court has shown that uh, it's still tethered to the legacies of Plessy. It's still tethered to the most horrific kinds of decisions that show injustice can be permitted um, under the rule of law in the United States. Little of this opinion from Justice Samuel Alito appears to be that different from the draft opinion leaked on May 2nd. What can you tell us about that, Michelle? Well, that leaked draft opinion and this one too, you're absolutely right. Not very much difference at all. It's one in which there are purported guardrails that contraception will be okay, same-sex marriage. But in the same opinion, now we have concurrence and dissent. Uh, We know that Justice Thomas has been very eager to dismantle LGBTQ equality, as has evolved before the Supreme Court. Uh, We see a court that pays very little attention to medicine and to science, pays very little attention to maternal mortality rates in the United States that are glaring. We rank 55th in the world in terms of maternal mortality. It pays very little attention to the legacies of racism that intersect with uh, sex inequality, such that in Mississippi, 80% of the cardiac deaths during pregnancy happen to black women. Mississippi, if you're a black woman, you're 118 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than by having an abortion. This is a Supreme Court that spends virtually no time considering any of that. And so it is completely distinct in its reality from the one that we are all living and the one in which women, girls, and people with the capacity to become pregnant will live. And it's a it's an opinion that really is rooted in centuries uh, ago. It can't be justified in modern times. And this is why Justice Alito reaches back to the most Um, barbaric aspects of jurisprudence to try to justify this opinion. Yes. Uh, Susan Matthews, I know that you have looked at that quite a bit, what Samuel Alito reached back to to justify this decision. Do you want to also talk about your reaction to the fact that very little of that language has changed, including, of course, what Michelle was mentioning, the failure to mention the impact on women, let alone take it into account? 
Yeah, I I think that what I would like to say about this in particular is that um, I think that when we look at this opinion, obviously the thing to compare it to is the original opinion in Roe v. Wade that we got in 1973 from Justice Harry Blackman. And I just want to talk about the differences in how the research was approached in both of those, because I think that there's something really specific about the way that that Samuel Alito is, is trying to justify this in history. And I actually find that quite confounding because I've spent the past several months really looking into what the original opinion in Roe v. Wade said. And Harry Blackman in the court at that time, which was all male, really approached this as a legal question, a medical question, and in particular, a historic question. And when you look back at history, I actually don't think that it comes down on the side of this opinion. Um, One of the things that Harry Blackman found was that most societies allowed abortion up until a point, uh, it it was frequently the point of quickening, which is around between 16 and 20 weeks when the mother first feels fetal movement. Um, And so I think that when when you look at kind of what has been selected in in Samuel Alito's draft, it is really cherry picked and and not necessarily consistent with actually how most societies, most countries, uh, most legal systems have, have really handled abortion. Your reaction also to the dissent. Um, For example, the language in the dissent said things like, quote, the majority says that from the very moment of fertilization, a woman has no rights to speak of. A state can force her to bring a pregnancy to term, even at the steepest personal and familial costs. Whatever the exact scope of the coming laws, one result of today's decision is certain, the the curtailment of women's rights and of their status as free and equal citizens. It's quite striking to read that in a dissent, Michelle Goodwin. It was also striking to note that the justices, Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan, did not dissent, quote, respectfully. That's different. That's absolutely right. Well, what's been egregious is the tone that the majority has taken as it has sought to uh, roll back history here. And and I want to take just one quick moment and noting um, the level of history that's disregarded here. In 1865, when the Supreme, in 1865, when Congress enacted the 13th Amendment and it was ratified, let's be clear what it was that they were dismantling. It bars slavery and involuntary servitude. It was very clear, it was on the minds of abolitionists who were in the Senate, that the involuntary servitude that black women were subjected to was not just in the cotton fields. Receipts were kept. The New York Times reported on it. Um, Authors such as um, Harriet Jacobs, uh, Sojourner Truth, abolitionists all knew black women were being raped and subjected to involuntary sexual subordination, involuntary pregnancies. There was a speech that Charles Sumner gave in Congress and two days later was nearly beaten to death because he spoke about black women being subjected to the horrors of rape and involuntary reproduction in the United States. They knew exactly what they were striking down in the 13th Amendment. And so it is sophistry when this Supreme Court says never before in history Never before had members of Congress, never before had it been of any original intent to spare women in voluntary servitude of the womb. That is just simply inaccurate. And how else do we know that it's inaccurate? We know because it wasn't only black men that were freed from slavery. We could say, Justice Alito, you're absolutely right, and black women are still enslaved today. But we know that that is not the case. And so when you look at the way in which the 
dissenting justices approach this case, it's because they understand not only that history, but they also understand that Roe v. Wade wasn't the first time that the Supreme Court spoke to matters of reproductive privacy, equality, etc. It was 30 years before in a case that involved a man. In Skinner v. Oklahoma, the United States Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision, used the language of human rights and civil rights to describe how important it was that people get to maintain reproductive independence and autonomy and that a state can't take that away. We are analyzing the historic ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade with Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor and Director at the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy at UC Irvine School of Law. Her recent book is Policing the Womb, Invisible Women, and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Also with us is Susan Matthews, News Director at Slate, host of Season 7 of Slow Burn, which is focused on Roe v. Wade. And we invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What are your questions about the ruling? How are you reacting to or processing this decision that was released today. You can email your comments to forum at kqed.org. You can post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We will talk about what happens now, what is happening now, now that this ruling has come down, right after the break. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A half-century of precedent on abortion law has come to an end today. We're talking about the Supreme Court's decision this morning striking down Roe v. Wade with Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor and Director at the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy at UC Irvine School of Law. Susan Matthews is also with us, News Director at Slate, host of Slow Burn. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation, telling us how you're reacting to and processing this decision by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at KQED Forum, calling us 866 733 Six seven eight six eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Let me go to Nancy in Berkeley. Hi, Nancy. Hi. I I I am eighty three years old. I marched. I marched. I marched to get abortion legal. I cannot believe this is happening. This in two weeks' time, this fascist Supreme Court has hacked away at 
the, the separation of church and state. They've put guns back on the streets, and now they are forcing women to have children that they don't want. I, I just, oh my God, it's just, it's too much. It's just too much. Thanks, Nancy. I, This listener writes, I am a liberal woman who has always had qualms about second trimester abortion. Last week, I chose to have a second trimester abortion because my baby would not have survived outside my body. If I lived in a different state, it's possible I would now be forced to carry to term, go through labor, and give birth to a baby with no skull, essentially turning a very sad experience into a lifelong trauma I'm not sure I would ever have recovered from. Michelle Goodman, can you give us a sense of what happens now? Can you talk about the trigger laws on the books in some two dozen states? That's right. So now that the Supreme Court has taken up this invitation by the state of Mississippi uh, to ban abortion outright, overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, now in two dozen states, there are trigger laws of various extremes, those that would completely do away with the ability to terminate a pregnancy or that um, impose varying levels of restrictions. And a sad and horrific feature of many of these laws now is that they make no exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Um, That is a feature of these laws that we wouldn't have seen five years ago. I think it expresses the level of cruelty and inhumanity uh, behind these kinds of restrictions that have been put in place. At the same time, there are states like California, New York, Colorado, etc., that are fashioning themselves as sanctuary states, as free states. And the um, nature of the illustration, you just can't um, forget just sort of free states versus states that are non-free to protect your reproductive autonomy and bodily autonomy. And it's it's a flashpoint back to Jim Crow and to American slavery, even though that there are states like California that will protect and help individuals on their reproductive health journeys getting to California can be more illusory than real for the poorest of folks. And what this is going to mean for some 10-year-old girl, an 11-year-old child who's forced to bear her rapist child and forced to do so by state legislatures that are still overwhelmingly male uh, is just something that is beyond words, really. It's, it's, It's beyond what we believed was the dignity of our judicial system. Hearing your tone right now, Michelle, I'm reminded of how poignantly you wrote about how an abortion saved your life for the New York Times in an opinion piece that was titled, I Was Raped by My Father, My Abortion Saved My Life. You speak from personal experience as well. I do. Um, I know exactly what that trauma is like. You know, when one thinks about this, the United States government got rid of the draft. The United States decided no state can, the federal government can't, send a young man or a young woman, but a young man, I mean, that was the point, to make sure that young men would be safe. The United States couldn't say, we use your body in service of our agenda. We put you in harm's way in service of our agenda to protect the people back at home. But I can't help but think of the analogy in this case that states would give up the bodies of young girls, 10, 11, 12 years old women, to carry out the agenda of men whom they don't even know. 
these men who are serving in state legislatures, and for the protection of whom? The religious ideologies of a group of men who've gotten themselves elected in these states, who engage in gerrymandered apartheid-level political practice? I mean, let's be clear, if we want to unpack what Mississippi is about, Mississippi is still sadly tethered to the chains of slavery. This is a state where you know, as Justice Alito says, just go vote when the Supreme Court has helped to dismantle voting rights. But a state that just a generation ago made black people guess how many bubbles on a bar of soap or jelly beans in a jar in order to be able to vote. It's that state, Justice Alito, that you suggest that people should exercise their constitutional rights to vote. And people will. They will try. But we know that there are horrific levels of voter suppression taking place in the United States. And the Supreme Court has basically said that it will turn a blind eye to that. These are dark times, not just in relation to reproductive health and justice. These are dark times in relation to the rule of law and democracy in the United States. Well, Georgie writes, men cause the need for abortion. A man is always involved in an unwanted pregnancy. I'd like to ask those middle-aged men who pontificate against abortion whether they ever helped create an unwanted pregnancy by not wanting a condom to reduce their pleasure. How many men have caused an unwanted pregnancy without ever knowing about it? Let me go to Adrian in Alameda. Hi, Adrian. Hi. Um, You know, one of the things that really strikes me is that, you know, we currently in the United States do not take organs from uh, a recently deceased body to help other people without explicit consent from either the patient who just died or from their surrogate decision maker. So literally right now, thanks to this Supreme Court decision, living women, living people with uteruses have less rights to that organ and to their bodily autonomy than a corpse. How can we square this? How can we square this with what are supposed to be inalienable rights? Susan Matthews, you've said that if with Rose Fall, we will be catapulted back into a world that most American pregnant people alive today would have never experienced. How do you think a world without Roe in 2022 differs or resembles maybe a a world without Roe in the 1960s? Yeah, I think I I just want to say that when when Nancy was speaking before about, you know, the fact that she she marched for this, right, it really just resonated with I've spent a lot of time uh, in the past few months talking to women who had who experienced this time. And I just want to say that, you know, what Michelle went through, I don't even think I think that it's just really important to note that in the time before Roe, it's not even just the women who experienced unwanted pregnancies and who who had to go through with illegal abortions who who suffered from this law, what the women told me so many times was that even if it didn't happen to you, there was always a moment where you thought it might and you had to wonder what you would do. And so I think that the first thing that I just want to say is that there's there's a level of, of security uh, that has been removed. Every woman will go through this experience. Every woman will, ha- will have that questioning moment now. I think that that's one thing that I want to say. I, the other thing that I want to note about one of the differences between, you know, what was happening before 1973 and now is that the the procedure of abortion has, has changed in a lot of circumstances. We have medication abortions now, and that's something that is promising, and we'll see what happens with that. But the main thing that I think that this does is that you need to have, when when, when something is, is made illegal in this way, it's it's 
about the chilling effect and it's also about the information that women will have. And so there will be women who are in states that have these restrictions who are able to access medication abortion, but you need to have a certain level of resources, a certain level of information. You need to be able to trust the people who are sending you those medications. Um, You need to know what to do if something goes wrong. And I just think that that lack of, of, of support from something you know, in the years before Roe, the, uh, one of the main ways that women died was that they would they would bleed out from trying to to do the procedure themselves. And this feeling of not knowing that you can go to the hospital when something is happening because you are afraid that you might be held criminally liable. The the issue is, even if we do have medication abortions now, there are so many, there's a whole host of issues that's going to surround that about information and just how this works in practice that is going to have just real harms. Well, Jean writes, making abortion illegal will undoubtedly lead to more unwanted children born into this world, potentially into abusive families, potentially to be abused, potentially to grow up and abuse their own children. Innocent children who are born to unwanted parents will potentially be the victims of this political ruling. Abortion opponents seem to not care about that fact. Lois writes, it's hard to stomach the absolute vitriol in Alito's decision, such anger toward previous justices and their decisions and by extension toward women. What explains that? Another listener writes, what about IVF clinics? According to this ruling, hundreds of babies are killed at IVF clinics across the country daily. Michelle Goodwin, there was also just a nod in the dissent, and maybe more than than just a nod, really, where they were talking about the concerns about other rights, privacy rights enshrined in the Constitution, um, about those being in jeopardy. Can you talk a little bit about what this means for those constitutionally protected privacy rights that are not explicitly enumerated, things like contraception and marriage rights and so on? It's an excellent question. The majority did in this opinion and in the leaked opinion suggest that uh, there are guardrails around matters of contraception, meaning that they won't come next. But the dissent was very clear and very prescient, in my opinion, about what is already being stirred up in the United States. And that is that there are legislators that are already saying that this will come next. And in fact, Justice Alito, in another opinion that he wrote for the court involving Burwell v. Hobby Lobby, where we saw IUDs conflated with abortifacients and Justice Alito going so far, and a majority suggesting that corporations could have religious identities and rights such that they could deny female employees um, access to contraceptive health care. And what the dissent is signaling is that other privacy rights also may be at stake. And when we think about the ways in which the Supreme Court has affirmed privacy rights, it's been in relation to reproductive health care, contraception, abortion. It's also been in the context of marriage as well. 1967, striking down anti-miscegenation laws that banned uh, interracial couples from being able to live in harmony and dignity together. LGBTQ marriage uh, is also um, a benefit of recognizing privacy through our United States Constitution. And it's not just there, but this is a Supreme Court that's on a speed path towards dismantling privacy rights. And I would also suggest the deeper rights that we find in the 14th Amendment of our Constitution. Let me go to caller Carolyn, San Francisco. Hi, Carol. 
Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to say a few things. First of all, mostly white married women who get an abortion and they've already had children. And it seems like this is a, an attempt by the Supreme Court to have more white people born to this country under any circumstances as sort of a racist tending off of the rising people of color. I actually am a child of marital rape. My father raped my mother. And um, what I want to say about that is children who are seriously unwanted, you have to live with that every day of their lives. That is not something that you, you want anyone to experience, not the mother nor the child, in a world that is severely overpopulated, where humanity lives on the lip of extinction. And we want to think logically and humanely about this, about everyone involved and the life of planet Earth going ahead. Thank you. Carol, I'm sorry that happened to you. Today's decision, uh, the Supreme Court ruling striking down Roe v. Wade, is bringing up a lot for our listeners. And Forum is here to hear you. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And let me go next to Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. I just, you know, I... I want to preface this with I don't want to in any way discount um, the efforts that people made when this was originally um, argued and and put into the Constitution or the amount of effort that women over, you know, time have put into advancing rights in this country. But I do I I am a little back to uh, what was kind of spoken about earlier, you know, the the National Democratic Party using this as a vote for us in November <laughs> opportunity. Um, I don't know why this is surprising. I'm kind of surprised at the number of especially older callers that are talking about the surprise that this happened. Um, I'm of a younger generation. I'm not surprised that this happened at all. Um, and I, you know, the past 40 years, the most influential bloating, voting block in this country and the people who frankly still control much of Congress and um, our executive office and are, are surprised that this happened and yet are not reflective of, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what's surprising. Um, this group of people has been voting for the past 40 years for the people who have, and, and, and uh, for people who have either allowed these rights to be compromised or for the courts to be stacked or for gerrymandering to become uh, kind of par for the course. And it was a lack of accountability or lack of holding elected leadership to um, uh, certain standards and lack of access of certain types of uh, certain types of candidates to, to national parties uh, and to state legislature or to, to national legislature. That is, like, why are we surprised? The, the country is largely run by older white men. At, of course, this is gone. So anyway, okay. I just I don't want to discount anybody's efforts. I just I feel a, a little toned up to be surprised that this has happened. 
Katie, thanks. This listener writes, I've been a stay-at-home parent to three beautiful kids for more than a decade, but I wouldn't have had any of them if I lacked access to an abortion during my pregnancies, for my safety, the health of the fetus, or simply if I had just changed my mind. But let's be honest, as a solidly middle-class woman, I've always been able to afford gas, a flight, or a hotel if I needed to travel anywhere to exercise my right to control my own body. This ruling is really just unequal protection for poor women, and that is the worst part of it all. Devastated that my two daughters are growing up in a world where they have fewer guaranteed rights than I have had. A range of emotions we're hearing from our listeners and callers as we talk with Susan Matthews, news director at Slate, host of season seven of Slow Burn, which is on Roe v. Wade, and with Michelle Goodwin. Her book, Policing the Womb, Invisible Women and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Michelle Goodwin is Chancellor's Professor and Director of the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy at UC Irvine School of Law. Listeners, if you want to continue to share your thoughts and reactions, call us at 866-733-6786. Email your comments to forum at kqed.org. Post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Michelle writes, besides adding more justices to the Supreme Court or getting Congress to enshrine abortion law, are there any other ways to reverse today's decision? I feel slightly safer thanks to Newsom's commitment to protect abortion rights, but the idea of being forced to carry a pregnancy to term is literally my worst nightmare. I really, really don't want kids ever, and I certainly wouldn't wish this on the millions of people across the country who are likely to face this outcome soon. Coming up after the break, we'll, we'll talk about how California is trying to position itself as a haven for women seeking abortions and also take your questions about what can be done now if you disagree with this decision. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're hearing from you listeners about how you are reacting to or processing today's ruling striking down Roe v. Wade. Pamela writes, today is a day of deep mourning and profound infamy for our country. Today, not only American justice died, but the Supreme Court has taken the bold step to remind us we have no rights under God, under our flag, and under our laws. Let me go next to Denise in Palo Alto. Hi, Denise. 
Hi, good morning. Um, I'm calling because I wanted to express my opinion. I am very, very happy about this decision. I think the judge, uh, the judges, the Supreme Court judges finally got it right. The initial vote that they had back almost 50 years ago was unconstitutional. We are back to the basis of the Constitution. I think this is really, really important that people understand what Roe v. Wade was and how different it is from any other country in the world, even the Western countries. The limitation was none. And I think, uh, unfortunately, the media and the politicians are painting this like this is the end of liberation of women and all of that stuff. But I think this is actually bringing back responsibility to both men and women, because when you're engaging in sex, there is responsibility associated with it. And you have to stand by responsibility. And what has happened, the foundation of society, the foundation of a family has been stolen by making abortion as the solution for do whatever you want to do and not take any responsibility for it. Well, Denise, thanks for registering your opinion. Susan Matthews, you did take a very deep dive into Roe v. Wade. Uh, What are your thoughts on what Denise is saying about that, about that ruling 50 years ago? Yeah, I want to echo, actually, I want to expand on what Michelle has been talking about. So the original reasoning, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that the original reasoning in Roe v. Wade is often described as falling under the right to privacy, and, and that's correct. It's the right to privacy as found in the 14th Amendment, but I actually think that it, it it does us a little bit of a disservice to talk about it as a right to privacy because what the 14th Amendment is, is, is actually quite a bit broader than just what that that phrase makes us think about. And, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were added uh, to the Constitution after uh, America, as America was trying, was attempting to right the wrongs of slavery. And when you look at the other Supreme Court rulings that find their justification in the right to privacy under the 14th Amendment, you have Loving versus Virginia, you have Griswold, you have the right to gay marriage. And all of those rulings, what they're really about is about family autonomy. And it's about people having the right to dictate and decide what their own families will be who they marry, whether and how they have children, and their right to, to have those children and raise them as, as they want to raise them. So I, I think that the idea that there's no right to abortion in the Constitution, I just want to first note that it's, if, if we look back at the Constitution as our guidance, the Constitution was written at a time when women also didn't have the right to vote. They were not, women were not involved in, in writing the Constitution. And I think that it's really actually quite significant that the right that, um, that, that, that Roe v. Wade was grounded in in the 14th Amendment, because that is one of the times when our society has been trying to correct for some of the wrongs and some of the exclusion of rights that people in our country deserve to have. So I, I, I find that reasoning to to be quite significant. And I think that thinking about Roe as the right to family autonomy is, mm. is quite important. You know, Michelle, California, as I said, positions itself right now as a haven. How, what concerns or questions come up for you with regard to California's ability to be that under this decision and the language that we saw today? 
So I think there too, we can search the archives of history to help us understand what might come next. So on one hand, there were a number of states that were free states eventually struck slavery out of their constitutions and legislation such that they opened the doors to black people who were seeking bodily autonomy, liberty and freedom. Sadly, there were cases in which the Supreme Court um, allowed laws such as the Fugitive Slave Act uh, to have full force um, that in many ways um, undermined the nature of those laws. But it was, you know, true even before 1865 that there were free states and there were states that practiced uh, slavery. And we will have in the United States and in places like California, these kind of free states, there are legislators that are already considering whether they can extradite doctors, gynecologists, obstetricians that perform abortions in California, extradite them to places uh, where abortion is illegal. We'll see how those uh, court battles play out. In many ways, this will become a space in which we will see the most egregious and ridiculous of laws come about. And how do we know that? We saw it during Jim Crow, right? And to just give a little bit of a taste of that, and there were laws that banned Black people from playing checkers in the park, from being able to bowl, etc. Um, today, people can laugh those off. But if you think about it, there were people sitting in the houses of their state legislatures thinking of all of the punitive ways in which they could denigrate individuals and deny them full integrity under the law. And I think that what we're going to see are challenges to what it is that California will do. But I also think there's a hopeful note here in that um, the California State Assembly is committed, the governor is committed, and the people of California are committed to reproductive independence, equality, and freedom. And I think that that is very hopeful, not just in this state, but for others from other states. The state Senate just passed the constitutional amendment to enshrine the right to abortion and contraception in the state's constitution. It heads to the assembly. It must be passed by two-thirds of lawmakers because it's a constitutional amendment. Um, to go on voters' ballots in November as well. Um, So would that protect California, Michelle Goodwin? Well, what it does for now, sure, you know, California is a safe space. So anybody hearing this in the state of California or listening in from across the country, in California, your reproductive privacy, liberty, autonomy is protected. You can get the reproductive health care services that you need. That's whether carrying a pregnancy to term with dignity, California has some of the safest rates of pregnancy protection. Um, And so whether it is trying to carry a pregnancy to term with dignity, have an abortion or seek other kinds of reproductive health care, that is available in the state of California. And I feel good about that. Um, That is important. At the same time, in the state of California, we should be concerned about what might come next from legislation from other states that might seek to harm individuals who are traveling to California, such as people who are aiding and abetting people by driving them to California. Right. Be concerned that there are doctors that may uh, may possibly be charged with crimes in other states, potentially. We should be aware that there are tracking devices that prosecutors in other states might seek to use against women traveling uh, from those States, all of those things we need to be prepared for. And it's worth researching the archives of Jim Crow because that might get us started in understanding what's coming next. One of the things in the dissent, Susan Matthews, was the point that was made by the justices 
Quote, no language in today's decision stops the federal government from prohibiting abortions nationwide, once again from the moment of conception and without exceptions for rape or incest. If that happens, the views of basically an individual state's citizens will not matter. What do you think about that, Susan, especially with regards to talk about a, a movement and potentially a national abortion ban? I think that the thing that I want to say about that that's really important to understand is that Americans, the majority of Americans don't want this to be happening. Um, that has been consistent since before Roe v. Wade was passed originally, and, and then the support for abortion access has stayed relatively consistent since. So I think that already what we're seeing with what's happening with this Supreme Court is that they're, they're making decisions that are not aligned with what most Americans want. And you can see that in how the um, the le- legitimacy of the court is affected. There was a Gallup poll, I think just yesterday, maybe the day before, that showed that uh, only 25% of people are, are, are supporting what the Supreme Court is doing right now. And, and that is a legitimacy crisis. And, and the reason that we have that is because we have a court that um, has the, the appointments of the court have been dominated by so many different different issues that have resulted in uh, presidents who have been elected by the minority of of voters having this say, mm. and that that minority view has been solidified on the court. So that's what's happening at the Supreme Court, and I think that that's why this decision feels so intense for so many people. But for that to continue to happen at the federal level of government, I think it's it's one of the issues where you're really getting into how do we deal with a minority of people exerting their wishes on on a majority of Americans? And I, I think that that's a real concern. Well, Jim writes, it's time for journalists and the rest of us to stop referring to the SCOTUS supermajority as conservative. They're not interested in stability or slow, cautious change. They have a clear activist agenda and are moving aggressively to reverse longstanding precedents. Call them what they are, radical activists. Let me go to Greg in Redwood City. Hi, Greg. Good morning. I'm really sorry to hear that, you know, women have lost some of their freedoms. And um, another point that I want to make is that, you know, watching these justices, you know, in their hearings and, you know, hearing them very clearly answer that, you know, uh, Roe and, and, uh, versus Wade was president and it, it you know, um, was something that they stood for um, really burns me um, that, you know, they basically lied to get their seat. You know, they lied to the American people. They lied to the Congress. And here we are, you know, not even a couple of years into their terms and they're, you know, voting it down. So I'd really like to see term limits. These guys have already obviously shown that they're human, they're fallible, and they have no interest in um, and really uh, upholding laws that protect our freedoms or our justices, you know, any of that. They're just humans and they have an agenda. Well, Robert writes, I actually agree that a fetus is a human life, but supported the Roe decision to avoid abortions. I would expect that so-called pro-life Republicans would support wide access and distribution of birth control and to support their court-mandated births would fight for programs like paid family leave, a $15 or higher federal minimum wage, etc. The fact that they don't exposes their grotesque hypocrisy on this issue. Let me go to Ailea. Hi, Ailea. Hi, thank you so much for taking my uh, comment. So what basically what I want to say is that we Americans, <laughs> we brought this on ourselves. You know, when it comes to our freedom of choice medically, um, I always notice whenever freedom is taken away from 
people of European descent, um, it seems like that's when they want to drag the black woman or the black man along too and say, hey, you guys know what it feels like to have freedom taken away, so you should join our, our fight. But it's all, it's selective. When the pandemic began, a lot of black people say, I didn't want to, I don't want to take the vaccine because I don't trust the government. The government has done Tuskegee experiment. They um, co-signed, you know, the, 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 the destruction of the, the Black Wall Street and so many other people that have come up um, as civil rights leaders. Somehow the government's always involved with, with their demise. So when we were crying about not wanting to take the vaccine, people lost their jobs. People weren't were able to go to school. Um, for me, myself, I wasn't able to attend my daughter's um, first grade field trip. That was her first field trip in public school. And I wasn't able to attend it because I'm not vaccinated. I, I protested. I went to the school board, everything. I'm still protesting it. But I'm not getting the same support. I'm not getting the same support from liberals. And you would think that people who are liberal are going to fight for the freedom because you fight for the freedom of LGBTQ plus you fight for the freedom of black lives matter, which basically is about LGBTQ plus the black people. So you fight for that. But when it comes to our medical choice of not wanting to get vaccinated, it's silence. It's quiet. Ilya, let me go to Michelle. Do you hear that hypocrisy, Michelle, in what Ilya is talking about? I think that what she's speaking to is something that I think of in these times of the need for a third reconstruction. And, and you know, one way of understanding these times is that we're living through the vision and dream of a senator like Jesse Helms, who is notoriously sexist, um, outspokenly racist, um, and deeply homophobic, his own words. And there have been times over, across history where we have tolerated people who are not committed to constitutional equality, not uh, committed um, to substantive due process. And we've tolerated those people in government, and we've tolerated those individuals um, in our courts. And that in and of itself is an anathema. And I think that there is a lot of hurt and pain over time. When you know, One way of thinking about this sort of holders of the dream of our Constitution is to think about the most vulnerable of Americans who were farm workers and black civil rights leaders who were literally being beaten up on the streets of America, protesting and saying, uh, segregation should not exist. And black people should have the right to vote. Black people should be able to vote and not have to guess how many jelly beans in a jar or bubbles on a bar of soap. People across the United States witnessed that. And it took so many deaths. It took so much pain in order for us to actually reconcile what the Constitution already provides. And when you think about the people who paid a price for our Constitution to have meaning beyond words, many of those were the most vulnerable of American people. So while I do believe in the importance of vaccination, and I do believe in the importance of public health, I get underneath what the caller is saying in terms of the hurt and the disappointment. And of course, the way in which black women 
have suffered a grave toll in terms of their reproductive privacy being usurped long before now being dragged out of hospitals in shackles and chains when they wanted to carry pregnancies to term with dignity. And I'm not talking about the early 1900s. I'm talking about the 1990s in which this was happening. And black women who are in academia were reporting on this and saying, pay attention. And so little attention was being paid attention to that. Well, Jason writes, I'm a rabbi at Congregation Emanuel in San Francisco. I just want to add that abortion is permitted and in some cases required under Jewish law. And so it is rather disgusting that rights are removed in the name of religion. Also, as a gay man, I don't think there's anything coincidental about this horrific decision coming out as we enter Pride Weekend. Christian extremists are attempting to control our bodies. It's important that the public know that there are many progressive religious leaders who stand opposed to this kind of theocracy and see feminism, reproductive rights, and LGBTQ. BTQ rights as core to our religious and spiritual worldview. <clears throat> Are there conceivable paths to restore the right to an abortion, Susan Matthews, that we haven't touched on yet? I think that what I would say about that is that the the right was was fought for originally. It, it was it was won, and so I think that what we have to do now. I think that we're in a slightly bigger mess with what the political system is. But I think that for the people who have been angry for a long time, who have been watching this, who are maybe shocked but not surprised, and the people who are seeing this this happen and and do feel and a bit of surprise by it, I think the answer is and has to be political organizing to, to, to earn back the democracy that we, we want and that we feel we deserve. And I also think that the thing that I would say is that Roe was decided 50 years ago and, and opponents of Roe have been fighting it for decades. It is not going to be a quick fight. It is going to take time. I thought you want to leave our listeners with Michelle Goodwin. Yes, um, I would say that this is an opportunity uh, to think about what that North Star should be. In the darkest times of our history, I think that we can draw from the lessons of our foremothers, uh, such as Harriet Tubman and others who understood what true liberty and equality was like, and we can vision towards that, organize towards it, and vote towards that. Michelle Goodwin of UC Irvine School of Law, Susan Matthews of Slate. Our forum team is Caroline Smith, Grace Wan, Marlena Jackson-Rotondo, Susan Britton, Susan Davis, Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Chris Hoff, Jennifer Eng, Paul C. Kelly-Campos. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin-Lindsay and Chief Content Officer Holly Kernan. Forum is with you, especially today. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.